Famed poet Mick Jagger once sang, you can't always get what you want. And in the case of the following movies that never were, that is certainly true. With The Flash finally bringing Nick Cage's version of Superman to the screen, I thought it'd be a good time to take a look at some of the movies that, for better or worse, never made it from the depths of development hell. Movies that either had a lucky escape or a missed opportunity, depending on your point of view. So let us know what side of the fence you land on here. Our first film is Forrest Gump 2, Gump and Co. Based on the novel of the same name, Forrest Gump 2, Gump and Co., just a fucking horrendous name, would see our hero trying to recover his ailing shrimp company, would lead him again to somehow be involved in every single important event of the decade. Some bangers in this when he creates new coke, he crashes the Exxon Valder, he helps destroy the Berlin Wall, uh, he works in a Bible theme park where he reenacts the David and Goliath story with a guy who mutters about Jodie Foster. This, of course, turns out to be John Hinckley, who famously tried to assassinate President Reagan and claiming Jodie Foster told him to do it. So, again, I think that idea kind of makes slightly more sense than the end of Contact. So that's something. He fights in Operation Desert Storm with his friend. His friend, by the way, is an orangutan named Sue, who survived a NASA mission who he met when he was an astronaut. Seriously, how was this not made? And in a moment of meta, he meets Tom Hanks, which sounds like it would be every bit as god-awful as that moment in Ocean's 12 where Julia Roberts decides her character should pretend to be Julia Roberts. Um, he is also in the car with O.J. Simpson when he's being chased by the police. During the chase, Forrest tosses the infamous bloody glove out the window. He meets Princess Diana and tells her, I don't like tunnels in Paris, which was a bit, of a bit too on the nose. Uh, throughout the book, Jenny appears to Forrest as a guardian angel and avoids him to listen to Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan frequently mentions a fondness for oysters and oystering revitalizes the, the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. And the movie would end with Forrest Gum commentating on the Oklahoma City bombings, which had happened around the time of, of writing the book. Final script was written. The film actually went into pre-production. Unfortunately, it went into pre-production on the 10th of September 2001. So the movie was taken out of development after 9-11 with the screenwriter Eric Roth saying, don't think this is relevant anymore. The world has changed. Time has passed. But maybe some things should just be left as they are. Our second movie on the list is Roger Rabbit 2 The Tomb Platoon. The proposed sequel named The Tomb Platoon, which is a fantastic name, Begins with Roger Rabbit's early years. He's living on a farm in Midwestern United States with a human called Richie Davenport. Roger travels west to seek his mother and in the process he meets Jessica Krumpnick, his future wife and a struggling Hollywood actress. When Roger and Richie are enlisting in the army, Jessica is kidnapped and forced to make pro-Nazi Germany broadcasts. And Roger and Richie must save her by going into Nazi-occupied Europe accompanied by a couple of other tunes in the army platoon. After their success from their mission, Roger and Richie are given a Hollywood Boulevard parade and Roger is finally reunited with his mother and his father, who turns out to be none other than Bugs Bunny. The film was supposed to be made by Steven Spielberg, who produced the original. He left the project saying he couldn't satirize Nazis after directing Schindler's List, which is fair enough. There was also test footage for another uh, sequel called Who Discovered Roger Rabbit sometime around 1998. Uh, but the results were this kind of weird mix of CGI and traditional animation and Disney were, were not happy with it. They tried to do it again by converting everything to CGI, but the budget went you know, north of 100 million, so that was quietly dropped. There was another story which would see Mickey Mouse and Roger Rabbit teamed up in the, it was an animated musical called The Stooge. And they were going to incorporate several locations from the Disneyland Park. And it would introduce things like the Toon Train, which were going to be built into a, a big ride. And it'd be like a Roger Rabbit themed corner of Disney World. Again, 
budget went absolutely out of control on that and that was quietly put away and sadly we, ne- we never got a, a sequel to Roger Rabbit although I do think Chip and Dale about two years ago kind of a spiritual sequel to Roger Rabbit I think that's about as, as close to a Roger Rabbit sequel as we're, we're going to get unfortunately number three on our list and possibly the most infamous what might have been in superhero movie history is Superman Lives starring Nicolas Cage and directed by Tim Burton there was previously drafts by uh, Jonathan Lemkin and Gregory Porter titled Superman Reborn. They were not considered fit for purpose and the project, as, as most of you will know, found itself in the hands of Kevin Smith, who, you know, even being forced to accommodate ridiculous demands from, you know, John Peters, you know, Superman wasn't allowed to fly, wasn't allowed to have the red and blue costume and a Superman film, Don't Call Him Superman. Okay. And the, the infamous demand, which we have seen now in the new Flash film, he has to fight a giant spider in the third act. I would pay money to have seen John Peter's reaction to seeing his uh, his glorious vision come to life for the second time. He obviously he got it in, in Wild Wild West as well. The story about Superman has been well documented by Smith and indeed an actual documentary as well. There's a, a great documentary called the, the Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Really, really well worth checking out. Some fantastic like test footage of that, even showing the, the cape, the costumes and things like that. It's really, really well done. Smith had suggested Ben Affleck, obviously, as uh, Superman. He wanted him to don the cape should Nicolas Cage drop out. Linda Fiorentino would be Lois Lane. Frazier's John Mahoney as Perry White, which I think is a fantastic bit of casting, to be fair. Slightly less glorious is now the predictable choice of Jason Mewes as Jimmy Olsen with Michael Keaton returning as Batman in a cameo during Superman's funeral. And Jason Lee was going to provide the voice of Brainy, but he was dropped out and Tim Allen was uh, Tim Burton's choice to replace that. So that's a nice alternative to the kind of the generic, never-ending, samey superhero films we seem to be getting at the moment. Something that definitely wouldn't have been samey is the fourth film on our list, Return of the Jedi, directed by David Cronenberg or David Lynch. Now, despite Empire Strikes Back being his knowledge as one of the best sequels of all time, director Ivan Kershner was not asked back because he incurred George Lucas's wrath for going over time and over budget. And the film's producer, Gary Kurtz, described him as being difficult for George to control. You can't argue with the results of the film, though, which, you know, the, the less George Lucas hands on Star Wars seems to be a good thing in some cases. Lucas instead would hire the relatively unknown and non-union Welsh director Richard Marquand. Before he went to the safe pair of hands though, Lucas was looking at two very different names to direct the last film in the Star Wars trilogy. Revenge of the Jedi, as it was then called. He approached two young up-and-coming directors, Cronenberg and Lynch, but Lynch declined the offer he wanted to direct Dune, saying that Star Wars was Lucas's thing. Cronenberg turned it down very wisely predicting he said you're restricted by the format that's been established and by the person running it so it's not really for an inventive or innovative director it's just going to have me put in a straitjacket but you know Cronenberg doing Star Wars in a straitjacket still would have been a, a very interesting film to see and a David Lynch Return of the Jedi I can only imagine what that happens unfortunately we can only imagine what happens I, I would have loved to have seen how that would have turned out DC have finally limped into their shared universe and looks like that's coming to an end now shortly before the, the gunverse starts. However, in 2007, in between directing Happy Feet movies, uh, director George Miller produced one of the best action movies in years with Mad Max Fury Road. And he was handed the keys then to the Justice League movie, which is going to be called Justice League Mortal, which was going to be separate from the Christopher Nolan Batman universe, which was going on at the time. 
He would cast Army Hammer as Batman, which, you know, in retrospect, wouldn't be a, a great choice. Megan Gale was Wonder Woman, Common as the Green Lantern. Adam Brody was going to play the Barry Allen version of The Flash, and Alton Yelchin was going to play the Wally West version. Uh, Jay Burchell was going to play the villain Maxwell Lord, and Imberton Joe himself, uh, Hugh Caseborn, was going to play the Martian Hunter. Shortly before they were start shooting in Australia, Warner Brothers announced it was going to put an indefinite hold, uh, which a lot of the cast, their options lapsed, and the studio felt that the script needed to be changed, and then there was a writer strike going on, you know, history repeating itself, so they couldn't adapt scenes to kind of seal up or close up the budget on that standpoint. Uh, unfortunately, again, project fell by the wayside, but all might not be lost as a documentary schedule, kind of similar to The Death of Superman Lives, uh, which is, has you know unseen footage. You've got test footage as the pictures circulating of everybody in costume. So it was a lot further along than most people think. So I would have been curious to see how that would work, especially with the Nolan films going on in the background. I think he had a bit of sway at the time, and I don't think he was too happy with you know competing Batman movies going on at the same time as, as his trilogy, mixing people up. Our next film on the list, X-Men Origins Magneto. So with the X-Men series seeming to be the one franchise that 20th Century Fox were able to make a success of, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Elektra, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen all failing to set the box off as a blaze. The decision was made to try and milk the X-Men teeth for all it was worth with spin-offs for two of its most popular characters, Wolverine and Magneto, scheduled to be released between X-Men movies, similar to how Disney was trying to manage with the Star Wars movies, having standalone movies between the, the overarching story. You had comic mainstay David S. Goyer. He was hired to direct and to write a script. He pitched it as The Pianist Meets X-Men. It follows Magneto trying to survive in Auschwitz. He meets uh, Xavier, who's a young soldier during the, the liberation of the camp, hunts down Nazi war criminals who torture them, and kind of and this lust for vengeance turns him and, and Charles Xavier into enemies. Film again, another one that ran into trouble because of the writer strike and then the failure of X-Men Origins, Wolverine, uh, which somehow didn't stop them getting two more Wolverine movies. Uh, all's not lost, however, large parts of that script ended up into well, the best parts of the X-Men First Class script. So, you know, again, something that could have been done a lot better than it was, especially when we see how good those scenes were in the X-Men First Class script. So uh, a standalone Magneto movie would have been something I definitely would have been interested in. Our next film on the list is Spider-Man 4. Uh, in spite of the poor reception from fans and from critics to Spider-Man 3, it's still the most successful Spider-Man movie to date, and it took in close to a billion dollars worldwide. Sam Raimi was eager to do a course correction. He wasn't very happy with the script for the Thor movie. He was kind of infamously didn't want Venom in it. He hired David Koch, who wrote it, the, wrote it, wrote the first film, and he had originally wanted to show the transformation of Core Connors into the Lizard with Dylan Baker uh, returning uh, in that role. He also wanted Bruce Campbell to be upgraded to a more significant role. He was rumored to be Mysterio. Uh, the main villain of the piece would be The Vulture, with John Malkovich actually signed on to do it, with Anne Hathaway uh, playing Felicia Hardy, who would be not the Black Cat. She was actually going to be reimagined as Voltress uh, in this, rather than the, the Black Cat she is in the comics. There was four drafts of the script. Raimi hated every single one of them and would end up leaving the project with Sony instead of from to uh, reboot the series with the, the Andrew Garfield and the, the underperforming Amazing Spider-Man movies. Raimi has been on record as saying, I don't think they ever wanted me to do this. They wanted me out the door to try and reboot the whole thing. And, you know, they came crawling back then years later. So, you know, he kind of had the last laugh in the end. 
The next film on our list is Guillermo del Toro's Doctor Strange. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch finally brought Doctor Strange to the, the screen this year. However, in 2007, there was plans for a, a standalone Doctor Strange movie with Guillermo del Toro and Neil Gaiman working on a, a script together, which would have been absolutely fantastic. Gaiman had been working on Marvel titles, uh, 1602 and The Eternals, and had been tapped to write the Doctor Strange script. During the course of writing the game and visit uh, Guillermo del Toro on the set of Hellboy 2, and del Toro just flipped and was like, I, I want to direct this. This sounds absolutely fantastic. Marvel, understandably, very happy at this offer. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, though, unfortunately, has a bit of form of getting excited and jumping onto sign films that ultimately never get made. I could probably do a whole feature just on films he hadn't done. Uh, he jumped from Doctor Strange to The Hobbit, which he also dropped out of to do the At the Mountains of Madness, the, the kaiju film. Dropped out of that to do specific, specific, completely different film there, Pacific Rim 2, which he dropped out of to do Peter Pan. Dropped out of Peter Pan to do The Witches, dropped out of The Witches to do a Hulk TV series, and dropped out of The Hulk to do Justice League Dark. And I imagine he's probably doing a, a dark reimagining of the Big Bang Theory now, which we will jump out to do something else completely. So uh, Guillermo del Toro, somebody who... Yeah, I can kind of relate to it. he gets excited about doing things and then when the work has to be done he doesn't actually want to do it so I, uh, I feel a kinship with him there but unfortunately never got Guillermo del Toro's Doctor Strange I think the more kind of generic MCU films or DC movies I think the less chance we, we are going to get really standalone interesting films like I think we would have got with, with his version of Doctor Strange another man who you definitely wouldn't have got a generic superhero film is James Cameron's Spider-Man in the mid-90s, Cameron had wrote a script for a Spider-Man movie. he just completed shooting True Lies at the time, and he was on board to, to co-write and direct with Leonardo DiCaprio, penciled in a Spider-Man, and Schwarzenegger kind of play uh, Doc Ock, which you know, we, we see Mr. Freeze, his Batman and Robin, maybe probably for the best we didn't get to see him uh, in this. This was the height of the comic boom, and you know, top of the line, Schwarzenegger, the biggest movie star on the planet. Why didn't it get made? Um, it turns out Spider-Man had an enemy even he couldn't defeat, which was Showgirls. Yeah, the the box office bomb, which had Jesse Spano flapping around in the swimming pool, along with the failure of Cutthroat Island, meant that the studio he was with, Carlico Pictures, weren't able to finance the movie. Uh, the comic book bubble essentially burst not too long after that, and the rights to Spider-Man went back to Marvel, who would then sell them to Sony to try and stop their uh, ascendancy from bankruptcy. But you would think a James Cameron Spider-Man movie, you would kind of move heaven and earth. That could have been the one to save the, the studio, but sadly not the case. And even more sadly, we kind of limited to these Avatar films. I'm not, I know they're huge box office successes, but I, I'm not a fan. And I really would like to see Cameron get back to do more original stories or, or more action stories or even do his version of a Terminator film rather than get wheeled out every few years and say, oh no, this one we fixed it. This is the, the real spiritual sequel to Terminator 2, which I think we're on about the, the sixth spiritual sequel at this point. So, yeah. The next one is an odd one. It's a real butterfly effect moment that ends up you know, starting the whole MCU and kickstarting uh, another career as well. But that's Quentin Tarantino's Iron Man. In October 1999, 20th Century Fox, they owned the rights to Iron Man at the time. They were in discussions with Tarantino to write and direct uh, a Tony Stark feature with Cruz already penciled into stars. So Tom Cruise had already signed on as, uh, as Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Tarantino had previously um, done a script for Luke Cage, Hero for Hire with Lawrence Fishburne. That didn't uh, ultimately get made. They thought Iron Man would be a, a more bankable star. 
Tarantino then ultimately turned down um, Iron Man and just a few weeks later Fox sold uh, the Iron Man rights to Paramount and Marvel head honcho Kevin Feige got involved Cruise was still very much at the radar at this point and he said there's been discussions with Cruise there's a number of factors all the pieces are in place and he is the best Tony Stark we can get Cruise would drop out he wasn't happy with a draft of the script which had uh, Howard Stark being the movie's villain he felt it wasn't true to the comic roots. Cruz said, when I do something, I want to do it right. And if I commit to something, it has to be done in a way it's going to be special. And I don't feel like this is going to work. You know, the, that version of the script ultimately changed. John Favreau took the director. See, he got rid of all that. So oddly, if Favreau had signed on, Cruz probably would have stayed as well. And, you know, they bet the farm essentially on a very unbankable Robert Downey Jr. who was, you know, you can read the, the tabloid stories about him, but Favreau kind of famously commented, no one else but him can be such a likable asshole. And as a result of that, you know, that the whole MCU, the, you know, the multi-billion dollar franchises we have now could have been very, very different. You know, if Cruz had a stuck around for another week or two when Favreau took over because he didn't like the script either, we could have had a, a very different MCU with Cruz being a front and center of that rather than the Mission Impossible series that he does. The final film on our list, and for me, one of the most intriguing, is Ash versus Freddy versus Jason. Uh, we had the, the Freddy versus Jason, which again, another film that was in development hell for years before finally arriving to a chorus of meh. So the studios of the respective franchises, New Line and Paramount, were you know, unhappy with the fan expectations and wanted to do something a bit different so you had comic mainstay david s goyer he seems to pop up in, in every abandoned project ever made and sam raimi surprisingly signed up to it and he said yeah love the idea bruce campbell's going to come back as ash he's going to be fighting the two horror icons how this actually fell apart then is raimi had one ultimatum when he came on board he wanted ash to be the sole survivor but the, the studio's new line empowerment were not too happy about this you know human goofball essentially taking out their their two main horror icons and their two main franchises so they said no Raimi's like well that's my ultimatum and I'm out but unfortunately I think that just would have been a really fun film and I think the way you've seen the way the Freddy and the Jason franchises have gone since then there would have been a, a lot more in that film than there has been for anything that they've done since so fortunately we never got to see that it's just one of those bonkers you know mid 90s early 2000 ideas that i think could have been something like a really cult classic as well and especially with someone like Raimi on board to do it i think he he would have made it a lot more fun and a lot more pandering to the horror fans than than we got with the freddy versus jason film and i just think you know but wanting your guy to go over essentially to use a wrestling term you've seen how you know the freddy and the jason franchise kind of ended up afterwards i think they they regret if they had a a real bankable director and a, and you know it's horror nobody stays dead forever so you know you could have done a sequel to that or you could have had your own spin-off i know those rumors that uh pinhead from hellraiser was going to show up in a couple of days you could have turned this into our version of the albert 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 and costello movies you know the frankenstein versus the wolfman you could have thrown in people from everywhere i think that could have been a a really fun little cinematic universe a little uh, corner of the horror world unfortunately we never got to explore that's the end of our list uh let us know what you think is there anything in there you wish had got made or anything there you you know you're, you're glad you never got to see for me obviously i would have loved to have seen the nick cage superman movie the ash versus freddy i would have loved to have seen 
Um, but you know, Quentin Tarantino's Iron Man, what would that have looked like? You know, with, with Tom Cruise, it's hard to imagine that not getting shot down. Cameron Spider Man as well, DiCaprio kind of on, uh, just on the cusp of the come up. How different was his, his career have been had he ended up as a franchise player? Something he's completely avoided in, in his career to do more. You know, serious films and he's become Scorsese's muse would that have happened there's a nice few uh, what could have happened and some nice elsewhere moments and that but let us know what you think is any I missed that you, you would have liked to have seen as well there's the you know kind of the infamous Beatles Lord of the Rings uh, series that didn't get made as well about a bazillion Batman projects as well so are these films better off in your head and are they they better off dead let me know what you think 